Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Mark's gospel was the first of the gospels and many of the others were written from the accounts that Mark wrote in his gospel. His was the most widely read, most widely accepted in the first century churches and most of Matthew's gospel was strongly influenced by what Mark had written down. Mark was a child of the early church. His mother was the sister of Barnabas. Her name was Sister Mary Mark. And it was at her house where the prayer was offered for Peter when he was in jail and God sent an angel, let him out. So Mark was a man that was acquainted with the miraculous and was acquainted with all the stories. He didn't live during that time, but he grew up hearing the stories. So Mark is a compilation of all the life of the Lord Jesus. And Mark chapter 3 talks about an encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees. And there was a man that was there that Jesus wanted to prove a point to the Pharisees that uh, their system had become perverted and their system had uh, a flaw in it and that they were thinking wrongly about people and their needs and getting to God. In Mark chapter 3, the Bible says, and he entered in again into the synagogue and there was a man doesn't give his name. There was a man which had a withered hand and they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he saith unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Somebody say restored. Was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Well, it's a busy day in the life of the Lord Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible said he was one who went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. He was a man of reputation, for as he thought, once these tales of people being healed and blind eyes opened and deaf ears unstopped and Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead and episodes like that, the fame of him, the Bible said, went throughout the whole country. There were people that thronged him to hear him and the Bible said, to see the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. So there was a, a, a magnetism about the ministry of Jesus and that is illustrated for us in the passage in John 3 when he says, if I the son of man be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. There is an attraction about the person of the Lord Jesus that draws people to him. And the Bible says the ministry of the church is to simply lift him up so that that magnetism can take place and people will be drawn to the Lord Jesus. The greatest Mission of the church is to lift up Jesus, preach about Jesus, sing about Jesus, 
witness about Jesus. And Jesus said the power that is in the person of his lordship will draw people unto him and draw people to the church. In fact, the Bible said the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. You see, if the church could just busy itself with the business of lifting up Jesus, then church growth is the natural response of lifting up and preaching about Jesus. Isn't that something? That it's, it's just up to us that if we will do the work of lifting up Jesus, people will be drawn to the Lord Jesus. It's a very busy day. And the Bible said, and he entered again. That word again is a pivotal word because it lets us know that he was continuously doing this. It wasn't something he did one time. But the Bible said, as his custom was, in another passage, as his custom was, he was in the synagogue on the Lord's day, on the Shabbat day. This was Saturday, of course, the day that God gave to the Israeli nation and the Jewish people to rest. It was a gift. Somebody say gift. Sometimes we take something God gives us as a gift and we become enslaved by it. Sometimes God gives us something as a gift right up here, right here, right here. There's a gift that God gives us and sometimes we become enslaved to that gift that God gave us. Sometimes we let something God gave us to be good and restful to become a dominating thing in our hearts and lives. God never intends for any gift of his to become a, a dominator in your life. He wants the person of the Lord Jesus to have preeminence in all things. He wants the person of the Lord Jesus to be the Lord and master of your life. Nothing else. Somebody say nothing else. Nothing else. Just the lordship of Jesus that has lordship in our lives. This passage before us reveals the heart of the Savior and his power over every attempt of the adversary to hold on to people who are desperate, who are going through situations and circumstances that they really just can't handle themselves. We're going to see that power revealed today in the person of Jesus dealing with this impotent man. This nameless man that is at church on this particular day. Now I want to tell you, though the Bible doesn't give him a name, that doesn't mean he's not important to the Lord. Amen. And this man had no name except he was a man who had a withered hand. In other words, he was identified by his situation. There are many of you that are sitting here today that are in bondage to your situation. And some of you have let your situation define you. The man with the withered hand. The person that has gone through something and that, that particular thing that you went through now becomes the identifying thing about you. The thing people say about you. That event was never intended for it to become an identity thing for you. But that's that woman that had this happen. That's, that's that guy that had cancer. That's that guy that got locked up. That's that guy that was addicted to drugs. And you get known by what happens to you. And somehow your name, the real you, gets lost. And the incident, the situation, becomes the thing that identifies you. Just like the man that sat by the side of the road in, in John 9. The Bible said he was a blind man. 
Doesn't give his name, just said he was a man that was blind. Sometimes the world will use labels to put on you that identify with what has happened to you. And that's never in the plan of God. God wants you to find identity in the Lord Jesus, not in your past, not in the things that has bound you, not in the things that has been a situation and a circumstance to you. And the Bible also tells us this man was at church on that day. Now that's, that's a difficult thing because Jews didn't let people that had a situation come to church. If you're going to go to the temple and you're going to go to the synagogue, you don't come in there to worship God with anything imperfect. In other words, if you offer an offering to God, a lamb, it's got to be a perfect lamb, not a three-legged, one-eyed lamb. It's got to be a perfect lamb. Anything that you bring to God in Jewish ideology has to be perfect. In fact, if they ever wrote the name of God when they were writing down scripture, they would retire that pen and that pen could never be used to write again because it had written the name of God and it could never be used to write anything else. They had such reverence for the holiness of God and the power of God that they would not allow anything imperfect to come into his presence. So that leads me to believe if this man's hand was withered, he must have come into God's house that day with his hand behind him and had it hidden for anybody to see. Come on, somebody. Maybe he came to church that day with his hand in his pocket because it wasn't perfect and it wasn't something he could worship God with and be right and people be all right with his worship and all right with him like that because he had a deficiency, he had a situation. He had something that had identified him and he came to church that day, but he wasn't supposed to be there. What have you got hidden somewhere that nobody else knows about? And you realize when other people are worshiping, you don't have that worship and you don't have that freedom to worship. Come on, somebody. Is it possible that you've hidden some things from everybody else that just you know, that you brought to God a situation, a circumstance, that you just brought to God? When he found himself in the presence of the Lord, the Lord had a, had a great impact upon this, this man. And the Lord called him forth. We'll see in just a minute. But the real thing was he entered into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him. Look at verse 2. And they watched him. Who watched him? Pharisees watched him. This, the opponents, the adversaries, those that didn't believe that he was the Messiah, those that were looking for an occasion to find fault with him, those that looked for an occasion to trip him, to, a, the Bible said, accuse him, accuse him. You know, it would be interesting sometimes to just ask people, why did you come to church? How did you just happen to be here? Did you come out of habit or did you come by force? They made you come. What brought you to God's house? It's very unfortunate that these people came to God's house for a very evil and sinister purpose. They came to God's house to find an occasion to find fault with Jesus. They came to God's house 
to find an occasion to accuse and embarrass the Lord Jesus. But the Bible said that Jesus wasn't ignorant. He knew they were there. You see, he was very well familiar with this pharisaical attitude. He dealt with it oftentimes. Oftentimes, Jesus had, had entered into conflict with, with the Pharisees. You know, it was the Pharisees that brought the woman that was taken in adultery and threw her on the ground in front of Jesus and said, Moses said to kill her, to stone her. What do you say to do with her? Can you imagine the cruelty of taking a poor, wretched soul and taking them in a public place and embarrassing them in front of everybody, throw them on the ground and say, she is worthy of being stoned to death. But what do you say? And the Bible said, Jesus answered not a word. But he knelt down and began writing in the dirt. You see, that wasn't the first time that finger had ever written. He was saying, you don't need to rehearse me on the law. That finger right there is what wrote the law. I wrote it on Mount Sinai when Moses was up there needing to get some commandments that they call the Decalogue. And, and my, my finger wrote that. You don't need to come asking me anything about the law. I wrote it. Woo! I wrote it. And when he looked up, the Bible said they were standing there and he looked at them and he said this to the Pharisees' attitude. Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. You see, that's, that's a real problem for that, that system of religiosity. That's a real problem because that means that they have got to live up to the measure that they use to judge. And as in most instances, when people choose to live above the judgment and live above the message that they preach, then you get run into trouble. And our headlines have been full of people who have had that happen to them just recently. And great harm has been done because people apply that to others, but they don't apply it to themselves. And it's something that Pharisees were at church and they were expecting the Lord to do something. So I really can't be real critical of them because they came expecting God to do something. Only thing was, they were critical of what God was going to do. Come on, somebody. They were actually possessed with a spirit of antichrist. They really wanted Jesus destroyed. They really wanted his message silenced. So he's standing here in this predicament, and they watched him. The real question was whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. The Pharisees were so focused on the actions of Jesus, not faith building, but to catch the Savior in an unlawful deed. They were of the opinion that healing a desperate person or restoring life for someone who had lost it was illegal on this day of worship. You see, there will always be watchers in the house of worship. I said there will always be watchers. Most of you came here to watch came to watch the pastor do his thing, came to watch the singing presentation to see if it was up to par, came to see who was here and who wasn't here, 
came to see who was wearing something that looks terrible on them. Probably go get in the car and tell your wife or husband on the way home, man, she sure has gained a lot of weight, hasn't she? There's watchers everywhere. The, the problem is, what are you watching for? What are you watching? Well, they were watching for Jesus to do something that they could find fault with and that they could accuse him and they could bring an accusation against him and eventually bring him to the Sanhedrin to give an account of his illegal deed. He, he was acquainted with that. It happened all the time. It happened all the time. It was the Pharisees that he called whited sepulchers. That means graves. Whited grave with pretty tombstones on it, beautiful lawn, mowed and manicured, and pretty flowers in the vase, but full of all kinds of corruption. Because Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out. It's what comes out. And you see, when, when you observe what comes out of someone, you know this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. For out of the heart proceedeth all manner of evil. You see, when left with a heart unattended, when left with a heart that is unconverted, there are all kinds of maladies that take place. That's why the Bible tells us, guard our hearts, even after we're saved. We're told oftentimes, evaluate me, God. Look upon me, God. Turn your searchlight upon me. Search me, O God, and see if there be an evil heart of unbelief. You see, just because you're saved, that doesn't mean that evil can't get in your heart. It doesn't mean that the enemy can't come and sow some seed of animosity or hatred or something of that nature that, that's very detrimental to your walk with God. And Jesus was looking at these guys and listening to what they said, and they said they were constantly watching to see if he was going to heal this guy. Well, that makes you scratch your head and wonder, well, I wonder if they planted him there. They were the ones that examined everybody before they came in church. How did they let this one slip by with his hand in his pocket? It's like going through the airport security and get up through security and all of a sudden you got something they said you're not supposed to have. How'd you miss that? If you've ever been in Israel on Shabbat, that law of theirs is full of measurements. I once saw a line that was up on poles and it was stretched around in the city. And I asked the guy, I said, what is that? Is that some kind of telephone pole or some kind of communicating system? He said, no, that's the Pharisees' line. That's the Shabbat line, the Sabbath line. I said, what is the Shabbat line? He said, it means you can walk that far, but if you walk any further, it becomes work you got to stop right there. You can't go any further than that or it becomes work and you can't work on the Sabbath day. Hey, if you're expecting, hey, Israeli breakfast is one of the greatest in the world. Man, if you're at one of those nice restaurants there, they serve some of the best breakfast food you ever ate in your life. No pork, no bacon, no chops. No, sorry about that. That won't be there. But boy, the richest cream. 
the greatest fruit. Everything is so wonderful. Waffles, pancakes, all the wonderful things that you just go crazy over at a breakfast bar. It's there. But on Shabbat, you're lucky to find a box of cereal. Because they don't cook on Sabbath day. Why? Because the Pharisees won't let them. It's against the law. Yeah, they're so stringent about it. And they go around and examine restaurants to make sure they're all kosher. Hey, you think I'm kidding you? Go with me sometime, I'll prove it to you. You get on an out elevator. In, in the hotel where we stayed, there was four elevators that goes, and they're constantly going, brother, pray that you don't have to get up or down on Shabbat because only one works on Shabbat day, and it runs at half speed. Hey, we're talking about people that you would call fanatics about religion and fanatics about all of these laws and all of these things that people are expected to live up to. The Bible says that the law can never give you peace. The law, the Bible said in which it was impossible for you to keep all of those laws. And yet they only live to impose those laws upon all the people. And the Bible said, and they watched Jesus to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Well, we know that we're told to watch and pray. Is that in there? Then you're supposed to say amen. Watch and pray. Watch lest ye enter into temptation. Ten or twelve of you believe that. Watch for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. In fact, the Bible said a good pastor is one who watches for your soul. So there's some good things about watching. It's just what are you watching for? Why are you watching? Listen, third verse says, And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand up. Stand up. Knowing the attitude of the Pharisees, Jesus said, their attitude is not going to stop me from doing what this man needs to be done in his life. Oh, I thank God for that, don't you? I'm glad that a few old wet blankets aren't going to cause God to abandon his purpose and letting Pentecostal fire come upon his church. I'm so thankful that God will not let naysayers do away with the good things that God wants to do in his church. Amen. God wants to revive the church and God wants to touch the church with renewed zeal and renewed fervor. He says to this man, stand up. Well, this guy had to have something happen for him because what he immediately did was stand up. And when he stood up, something good happened. When God tells you stand up, then something good's about to happen. There was a guy at a pool that's called Bethesda, and he had lay there on that, on that pallet for 38 years. You may remember a sermon I preached about this, 38 years on the verge. 38 years on the verge. And when Jesus saw him there, he said, wilt thou be made whole? And he says to Jesus, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody. But while I'm coming every time, Somebody else always beats me. Would you call that pessimism? Nod your head, give me a Presbyterian amen. Amen. 
Y'all are making me feel awful lonely up here this morning. Why in the world would Jesus say to a man who has said, I'm hopeless. It's not going to happen for me. Somebody always beats me. To someone that's full of excuses, this guy is head to head of the list. There are all these reasons why I can't be healed. Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? I don't have anybody. Somebody always beats me. And Jesus said, if you want to be whole, then rise up and walk. And immediately took up his bed and started walking and it was Sabbath. Well, here he is carrying his pallet and he's walking alone and the first person he meets is his pastor. And his pastor from down at the synagogue says, what are you doing with that pallet on your shoulder? Don't you know this is the Sabbath? You're not supposed to be carrying anything. No work on Sabbath. We'll deal with you at the synagogue for this. He said, all I can tell you is the same man that told me to get up and walk, told me to carry this bed. In John 9, Jesus meets a man on the roadside at Jericho. And the Bible said, the disciples said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? He had a situation. And the only identification was he was a man that was born blind. And they said, who is at fault here? What's going on? What has he done? What sin has brought this terrible thing upon him? Don't you love it when folks get on Facebook and start telling you why you're going through what you're going through? Don't you love it when folks that have problems they can never work through are telling you how to work through yours? Well, I don't really need a bald-headed man telling me how to grow hair. And I don't really need a fat person telling me how to lose weight. And somebody that can't handle their own situation, how in the world can they handle mine? Stay in your lane. Sorry, that just slipped out. This guy is standing there, and Jesus said, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. And having thus spoken, Jesus spat, didn't spit, he spat, he spat upon the ground. And he knelt down and he made clay of the spittle. And then he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. You see, the attitude of these Pharisees was one of, number one, pessimism. They came to church with a pessimism and a negativism looking to accuse somebody and find fault. Come on, somebody. Second thing they, they came to, to church with was they, they came with prejudice. 
because they looked down on some folks and looked okay with other folks. They had a standard of theirs that determined whether you fit or you don't fit. You either are or you're not. Come on, somebody. Based upon what we think about you. That's prejudice and that's evil and that's wrong. Well, thank you. I finally got a hand clap. That is wrong. Pessimism, prejudice, and here's pride. They were so proud. Hey, you watch how I walk dragging that right knee along. Uh, have you ever seen how Pharisees would walk? They walk with long, flowing robes. And when they walk, they sway back and forth so that the robes will sway with them as they walk. They have so much pride. I imagine when this guy with this situation called blind from his mother's birth. I imagine when Jesus spat upon the ground and started putting that mud on his eyes, all of his pride went out the window. Because you see, when you come to God, You've got to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's where so many people leave church with their situation just like it was because they're not willing to put their pride aside and their prejudice aside and their pessimism aside and humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Jesus said to this man with this mud on his face, he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the Bible said, and he started looking for somebody to take him to that, that pool. Finally, a little boy took him to the pool and he knelt down. He began washing the clay away and opened his eyes. And the first thing he saw was what? Himself. His reflection in the water. For the first time in his life, he began seeing. And here's the clincher. And it was the Sabbath. So immediately... This guy being blind, we're not going to go ask him about it. We're going to go talk to his mama and his daddy. Let's go talk to them and ask him about what happened and how was he raised and with what kind of idiosyncrasies did he, did he have about his personality that he would put mud on his face and go and come with this claim and said, Mom, Dad, tell us about this healing. Was that your son? And they said, He is of age. Go ask him. Don't want to get involved. You mean fear of the religionist was so strong that people would disown their own son? Rather than get the church on my back and get these Pharisees and their pessimism and prejudice and pride aimed at me, I'm just going to say, go ask him. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Don't quote me. I'm going to tell you this, but don't tell nobody. So here goes the Pharisees over to the, are you the blind man? Yes, I am he. Is it true that you sat at the gate and begged and you were blind? Yes, that's me. Is it true that that sinful man who claims to be the Messiah touched your eyes, put clay on your eyes, and you washed and you came seeing. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Don't you know 
that man is a sinner. And he said, whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. Once was blind. Sabbath, Lord Jesus, I didn't realize he did so many good things on the Sabbath. Instead of dodging the issue or postponing until another opportune time, Jesus called that man and said, stand up. And when he stood up, Jesus looked to the Pharisees and said this, is it lawful to do good on Sabbath days or do evil? To save a life or to kill? But the Bible said they had no answer. They held their peace. I love it when God in his wisdom, Jesus in his omniscience, put to silence and dumbfounded the critics. The detectors had no answer. There's a similar situation that's found in Luke chapter 13. I love this one because it happened on the Sabbath also and it was something that was debated among them. And behold, there was a woman, verse 11, Luke 13. There was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. It doesn't give her name either. She's just identified as a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. A woman. Is there a woman here today that's got a spirit of infirmity? Then why you got all these doctor's appointments in the next few weeks and you don't have any infirmity? Got any infirmity? A woman who had a spirit. Did you see, hear that? Spirit of infirmity? Somebody say a spirit of infirmity. Then is it possible that my problem is a spiritual problem and not a medical problem? She had a spirit of infirmity. 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Now I want you to see this woman's terrible plight. She's bowed together. That means she's all bent over. And she walks like this. And she's got her a little cane, I imagine, to help her get around. She can't look people in the face. She can't look and see people's eyes. She just walks around bent over and cannot do anything to help herself. She has a spirit of infirmity that has her bowed together. And she can in no wise lift up herself. But, can anybody say but Jesus? But Jesus, when he saw her, he called unto her and he said, Woman, thou art loosed from that infirmity. And the Bible said, and immediately she was made straight. Before Jesus all she should, could see was the soles of other people's feet. Before, all she could see was the dust of the road. Before Jesus, all she could see was down, down. But since Jesus straightened her, she can now look up. She can now no longer be identified as the woman with a spirit of infirmity. When Jesus loosed her, he delivered her and set her free from her situation. 
freed from that situation that had her bound 18 years. Well, the first thing that happened was here comes the Pharisees. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Verse 14. Because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered him and said, thou hypocrite. Sometimes the Lord just tells it like it is, doesn't he? Sometimes he just looks a situation in the eye and just calls a spade a spade, as you would say. Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ass or his ox from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound? Well, I thought she was just sick. I thought she just had an infirmity. Her infirmity was more than just an infirmity. It was a spiritual bondage that she was in, whom Satan hath bound low these 18 years. Mm. Be loosed from this bondage even on the Sabbath day. And when Jesus had said these things, all of his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by Jesus. Rejoicing always comes when deliverance and healing takes place. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. Verse 5, when he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved with the hardness of their heart, the original would say being frustrated over the hardness of their heart, he said unto that man, stretch forth your hand. Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. You see, the real situation was not really the man's hand. Jesus was really actually using the man's situation and his healing to talk about the bigger problem. There was a system of religiosity that was at work that was causing the whole problem. And Jesus was using this occasion to say the problem is greater than just this one situation. And for some of you that are here today, that you keep going through situation after situation after situation after situation, is because you've never dealt with the system that's causing the situations. Once you get to the root of the problem, and once you get to the cause of all of this difficult. Why was Jesus angry? Why was Jesus so frustrated? It's because this system had bred such a heinous situation and all of Israel, all of the people were under this bondage. It was greater than just one person. The system was causing all of this mayhem. You see, when we pray, a lot of times we pray for our situations. Sometimes we pray for other people's situations. Sometimes we pray for situations for people that we don't even know. Sometimes we just pray and pray and pray about situations. 
But I want to tell you, God wants to fix the problem at its root. To stop the symptoms and to stop all the circumstances because he wants to deal with the real problem. What was the real problem? When Jesus looked on them with anger, he was frustrated because of the hardness of their heart. You see, a hard heart will always cause difficult situations. A hard heart will limit the hand of God to work in your life. A hard heart will cause strife and innuendo in your relationships. A hard heart will stay the hand of God to do blessings in your life. A hard heart will injure business deals and business doings. If you'll ever realize there's something going on that I need to work, why isn't this working? Has anybody in this house asked this week, why is this not working? Why is everything I do turn into something that is a situation? How can I get to the end of this situation, find the root of it? God said the problem is in hardness of heart. Dealing with situations will never get you anywhere until you deal with the heart. The heart, because the Bible said out of the heart proceedeth everything. The tongue speaks what's in the heart. Wherever your treasure is, if your treasure, your heart, there will be your heart also. You go to a John Maxwell retreat or seminar, you'll hear him tell leaders that you need to make one big decision. So you're trying to make a lot of little decisions and you need to make one decision. One decision. You see, sometimes we complicate things so badly by trying to work through many situations when we really just need to conquer one and be decisive about one. Did you know everything depends on decision? If you're indecisive, you'll never advance. You'll never get anywhere. If you're indecisive, you just can't make progress. That sometimes, somewhere, some way, somehow, you got to say, this is where I stand. This is who I am. This is where I'm going. This is my plan of action. This is what I'm going to do. And when Joshua answered that question, he said, I don't know what all of you may do about your situation. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Stand with me, please. When God gives us a gift, he gives us a gift to bless us. John 5 and 9, immediately when a man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, on the same day was the Sabbath, John 9, 14. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Our pride sometimes won't let us say, I need God to help me with this. We'd rather just keep it behind us, keep it in our pocket, but the day you stretch it forth and extend it to God. Now, I want to tell you something. It took some effort on his part to stretch forth that hand that was withered. But when he put forth the effort, God met him, and God continued the healing and the deliverance. God will do that for you today. I said, God will do that for you today. He's just waiting on you. He's saying in this house today, Stretch forth your hand. Whatever your situation is, just stretch it forth to God. Whatever your circumstance is, just stretch it forth to God. Whatever that thing that is so problematical that's causing you to lose sleep,
that's causing you to worry, that's causing you to take on a different personality, that's causing you to change everything about your life, if you'll just stretch that out to God and say to God, God, like that man who stretched forth his inability, his witheredness, his impotence, God, in Jesus' name, I extend that toward you. And I lift it up to you. You take my inability and restore and heal and deliver as you can. Praise God. I feel that, don't you? Praise the Lord. Whatever I can't make happen, God, you can make happen. Whatever I can't make it through, you can make it through with me. Whatever I, I see as an impossibility, you can make it possible. Whatever I'm dealing with, it, it seems to be hopeless, you can give me hope. Whatever I'm going through, God, that's causing me so much pain, you can heal my pain and heal my hurt and heal my sorrow and give me a new perspective about what you want to do in my life. Today is the day of decision. I'll not wrestle with these situations anymore. I'm going to make one decision once and for all. And that is the business of the Lord's house. And I will make the Lord the Lord of everything in my life, my marriage, my home, my family, my children, my business, everything about me. I'm going to make the Lord the Lord over all of that. Buddy, I felt that. That felt good. I'm going to make the Lord to be Lord over all of that. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do with my youngin'. Let the Lord be the Lord over that. I don't know what I'm going to do about my finances. Let the Lord be the Lord over that. Well, I don't know really what I'm going to do about my job. Let the Lord be the Lord of that job. Well, I don't really know about my family, my home. Let the Lord be the Lord over that. If you'll just let him be Lord over whatever your situation is, he'll change every bit of that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Have you got five minutes? Yeah. Have I got five minutes? Yeah. Five more minutes? Yeah. Come down here and pray with me before you go. Come on, don't trip over one another running down here. Someone asked me when I walked in the door this morning, have you got a good one today? Have you got a good one today? I'll tell you what I told him when all of you get down here. I told him if I can get it out like the Lord put it in, it'll be a good one. If I can get it out, I'll tell you something, this will be a good day if today can be the day, the day, the day, the day when you put that thing to rest that's been troubling you so. I said today will be the day when you put to rest that thing that's been troubling you so that thing that's been tormenting you, that thing that's been worrying you, that thing you write on papers and give it to people to pray for, that thing, that thing. Today, you can leave here with peace about that. Oh no, Pastor, not, not me. Well, get rid of that pessimism. That's the number one thing you gotta do is stop that unbelief. Stop that unbelief. Stop that hardness of heart. Would you just give Jesus a chance? Would you just let the Lord have a chance? Would you just let him have a chance? Before you rule him out, before you say it can't happen, before you just lock the door on it, would you just give Jesus a chance? I said, would you just give him a chance?
All he needs is a chance. All he needs is a chance. He'll do for you what no other power can do. He'll lead you, guide you, and direct you in paths that no other power can lead you through. He'll open doors that no one else can open for you. He'll do things and supply needs that you have that nobody else can get that done. He is a God who does impossible things, and he does impossible things well. He really does. Ready to pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I bring my situation into your presence. You know my heart. You know my life. You know my person. In Jesus' name, I have victory today over all the power of the adversary. My enemy would come against me, but greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Oh Lord, how excellent are your ways in my life. And right now, in Jesus' name, I embrace not my way, but your way. And in Jesus' name, I give you everything in my life, my family, my home, my business, my marriage, my health, everything in Jesus' name. Be Lord and be master of it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on and give God some praise in this house. Come on and lift up an anthem of praise to God. Oh, he's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. There is none beside him. He is Lord. He has no peer. He is Lord. Blessed be the God of my salvation. Thou art my rock and my high tower. Thou, Lord, hast heard my prayer. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Oh, hallelujah. Now lift up those antennas to him and tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you thank him for what he's done for you. Tell him you love him for what he saved you from. Thank him for saving you and giving you a home in heaven. Thank you, God. 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 Hallelujah. I will yet praise him. 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 Nevertheless, God is good. Nevertheless, God is good. Nevertheless, God is good. Oh, yes, he is. And he's a rewarder. Can anybody say rewarder? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those who diligently seek him. Oh, I'm praying that God's going to give us a spiritual breakthrough. I believe God is going to touch and we're going to lift up Jesus and we're going to lift him so high and brag on him so much and tell everybody how wonderful he is so that people will be drawn by that magnetism that is in the person of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen.